Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for kicking off the brand new week with me, with us. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget, check me out on social media. On Instagram, I'm at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I'm at Monica Crowley. Also by email, I can be reached at Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Great to have you guys on board on a big day, New Hampshire primary day. We're going to talk a little bit about where we are in this whole process a little bit later in the show. Also later today, we're going to talk to Alex Marlowe of Breitbart.com. He's the editor in chief there and just a brilliant guy who's also written a brand new brilliant book about Joe Biden exposing all of the deep shadowy money that uh, is flowing into the Biden crime family and what Joe Biden is really doing here, as if we didn't know, but Alex is going to take it all apart for us. We'll discuss uh, so much, including Trump and the primaries and everything with Alex. It's going to be a fantastic conversation, so sit tight for that. Later in the week, the one and only Leo Terrell is going to join us. Of course, you've seen him all over Fox over the years. And you may recall that when you began seeing Leo Terrell on Fox, he was essentially a Black Panther leftist communist radical. And he has done a complete 180, and he is now full-blown America First, MAGA, Donald Trump supporter, Bring America Back, Close the Borders, Law and Order, His journey is quite the journey. So he is going to be here with us later in the week, and we'll also cover the latest on the Trump legal cases with him as well, because when Donald Trump is reelected, it's entirely possible that Leo Terrell could be, I don't know, attorney general, head of the civil rights division at the DOJ. We, We shall see. But Leo is going to join us, and that is going to be an absolute fire conversation. Also, we're working on some really big guests for the days and weeks ahead, so you're not going to want to miss a second of the Monica Crowley podcast. So grateful for you guys. All right, first up today, the Monica Memo. No one is coming to save us. I wish I had a more upbeat Monica Memo for us today, but you know what? It does us no good to live in a state of denial or in a state of wishful thinking about the country and where we are and the process and how it's going forward. We must deal in reality, as painful as it is, in order to deal in reality, in order to try to change course. So the unfortunate reality is that no one is coming to save us. The latest piece of evidence that we have that no one is coming to save us is the Supreme Court decision that came down yesterday with regard to Texas and the criminal illegal immigrant invasion that we have seen over the last couple of years under Joe Biden, Alejandro Mayorkas, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, supposedly the borders are 
Um, obviously, it's all theater. It's all theater. It's all lies. Um, but this case bubbled up to the Supreme Court, and in a 5-4 ruling, uh, they ruled against Texas. So here, here is the background of this story. As part of an effort to try to stop the absolute tsunami of illegal aliens crossing the U.S.-Mexico border into our country, and now the number is at about 10 million And again, these are all estimates because we obviously have no idea how many have come in over the last three years under Biden-Harris. It's 10 million, but, you know, Trump has used the number 15, 16 million. Nobody actually really knows. So we're all just throwing darts at a dartboard in the dark on these numbers. But in an effort to try to stem at least some of this, Texas Governor Greg Abbott allowed for uh, razor wire to be placed at the border. He also put some buoys out in, in the river, in the Rio Grande, to try to stop the crossings, right? So when he did that, and states do have rights here, okay, but when he did that, Joe Biden turned around and he ordered federal agents to cut down the wire, claiming that it prevents Border Patrol agents from reaching illegals who have already crossed the border into the country and they're already on U.S. soil, then it triggers, well, federal Border Patrol agents then have to reach these people, right? Begin to process them, etc. Texas then in turn sued the Border Patrol for cutting the wire and they claimed property damages and trespassing, etc. Okay, so this goes to the Supreme Court. Keep in mind that the Biden administration took this case all the way to the Supreme Court to allow the criminal illegal immigrant invasion to continue. They took it all the way to the Supreme Court because they want the criminal invasion to continue. So yesterday, the Supreme Court ruled that federal agents can remove the razor wire that Texas has installed on the border while the lawsuit regarding the wire continues. So keep in mind, as horrible as this decision is, there is still a process in place. The case is still in process. It is still before the Fifth Circuit Court. So they have not decided yet. There was a temporary ruling in place and that that stopped uh, the federal agents from being able to cut the wire. The Supreme Court came in and vacated that Fifth Circuit temporary ruling and said, while the case is still ongoing, um, the federal agents can still remove the razor wire. So again, the Supreme Court is not stupid. We may have compromised justices there, but they're not stupid, like on the law, although the left-wing justices might be, but there is a process in place here, okay? So as horrifying as this is, and we're going to take apart the bigger picture here in a minute, there is a legal process that is still ongoing. In this case, it was a 5-4 decision. The four against were the conservatives, Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh. Amy Coney Barrett and John Roberts, the chief justice, voted along with the three liberal justices. And I just want to point out that all of the women on the court voted to allow the federal government to continue to cut the razor wire and allow the illegals into the country. I'm just saying all of the chicks on the court voted to allow the illegal invasion to continue. So they have just allowed 
the continued invasion of the southern border, and uh, the justices who voted for this did not provide an explanation for their vote. Most of the time you get a little explainer, like pre- the, the concept of preemption, right? Or some sort of constitutional logic. And generally speaking, when there is a dispute between federal and state authority or law, the feds will supersede the states. It's called preemption. And essentially, that's what we have here, right? And there are some lawyers, including some conservatives, who have said exactly that, okay? So there is a constitutionally uh, logical explanation for this while we are reacting emotionally. Um, I, I completely understand both sides. And we're going to, again, talk about the bigger picture here. To keep in mind... The Supreme Court ruling yesterday was specifically about the temporary court order on cutting the razor wire. The Fifth Circuit still needs to hear the actual case on its merits. So there is still a chance that Texas wins this. Okay, this is not over. And as a point of fact, Texas Governor Greg Abbott actually did say, he responded to Jack Posobiec saying this, you know, this is still ongoing. And Texas Governor Abbott said, this is correct. And then he also tweeted, this is not over. Texas's razor wire is an effective deterrent to the illegal crossings Biden encourages. I will continue to defend Texas's constitutional authority to secure the border. And he says, I will continue to defend Texas's constitutional authority to secure the border and prevent the Biden administration from destroying our property. So the Texas governor is going to continue to fight uh, this. And again, this is a pretty narrow ruling as the actual case makes its way through the court system here, right? Um, There are so many moving parts to this. Texas obviously has a moral obligation to uh, try to defend its people and the country as a whole when the federal government will not do its job. Because there are so many moving parts here, keep in mind that Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution states, quote, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion. So, You know, I don't know what the Supreme Court is thinking here, unless it's strictly on preemption about Fed versus state and federal government superseding state. I'm not an attorney, so I don't know the particulars of this, and they did not offer an explainer in their decision here. But it certainly looks like the Supreme Court thinks that maybe some invasions don't count. But what is happening at our southern border certainly is an invasion, Marco Rubio uh, tweeted, you know, because there are all of these ongoing conversations in the Senate and overflowing into the House now on a budget deal to try to fund the government, and border security is obviously a critical part of this, shut the government down or shut the border down. Shut the border down or shut the government down, right? And so Rubio tweeted yesterday, how can there be a border security deal with a Biden administration that just went all the way to the Supreme Court to stop border security. You've got other members of Congress like Matt Gates, who I saw last night speak in Florida, and he was absolutely incredible. Uh, we're going to have him as a guest on this show as well. Just amazing. And also Thomas Massey, um, who they're, they're all out there tweeting and talking about defunding this. 
In fact, Massey tweeted yesterday, you know who could fix this, literally overrule the Supreme Court and the White House on the Texas v. Biden dispute, Congress. In fact, it was explained to a group of us by Justice Scalia during breakfast at the Capitol Hill Club. He told us to quit funding things we don't like. Look, the American people have a right to defend themselves when their government fails. The American people also have a right to defend ourselves from a tyrannical government. This is why the founders gave us a second amendment. They saw this kind of crap coming a mile away in their wisdom. Now, it's also being argued by many people, actually, that, you know what, that Texas should just follow what Joe Biden is doing and just ignore the Supreme Court. Joe Biden is doing it for student loans, right? Just blowing off the Supreme Court said this is unconstitutional. You cannot do it. You cannot do it by executive order. You cannot just forgive and wipe out these student loans. And yet Biden is doing it anyway. So maybe we can do it for our own sovereignty. Just ignore the Supreme Court ruling, right? If the Biden team wants to take down the razor wires, let them try. They'll have to go through the Texas National Guard first. I mean, I I don't know how this is going to play out legally. We'll have to see how it makes its way through the process. But you know what? If Biden is blowing off the Supreme Court's decisions, hey, maybe the Texas governor will do the same. All of this gets to a really important point or series of points that are much bigger than just what is going on at the border, which is an absolute horror show. And by the way, guys, I'm looking at these polls And we'll get to New Hampshire and we'll get to the broader presidential race here in a minute. Um, But poll after poll now is showing, you know, the economy and inflation used to be the number one issue for the American people for this presidential and, and other races this year. Now it's illegal immigration. Illegal immigration and the border are now the number one issue for the American people. And you know what? It's not just for those of us who are MAGA, America first, pro-Trump. It's not just for us. And this is what makes this very dangerous for the Democrats. It's also massive numbers of independents are putting illegal immigration as the number one issue. And an increasing number of Democrats are doing the exact same. You see the videos coming out of Chicago, New York, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., You've got black voters, you've got Latino voters who are absolutely livid, livid that their communities and their resources in their cities are being decimated by the tsunami of illegal immigrants, taking over their communities, creating crime, creating danger for them and their families, can't walk their kids to school in their communities because the illegals are everywhere, trashing the place. Again, committing crimes, making their cities more dangerous. And they are showing up at town halls screaming at these Democrats that they voted for, saying, what are you doing? And now you've got big city mayors like Eric Adams in New York and Brandon Johnson in Chicago and elsewhere, desperately trying to fling these illegal immigrants out of the cities, trying to put restrictions on the buses coming in like they are in New York, all of it. Because they're getting these massive waves of illegals and they don't have the time, they don't have the money, they don't have the space to put them up. For them, it was all fun and games as long as the illegal immigrant crisis was contained to Texas and Arizona, 
red states, let them deal with it. They got more space. They got more room. They got more infrastructure for this kind of crap. Well, I mean, it was a master show. I have to say, you know, Governor DeSantis, um, he dropped out of the presidential race, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But he actually did the first big thing. He and Governor Abbott, they started, remember when DeSantis sent the plane load of illegals to Martha's Vineyard? And the liberals are just absolutely freaked. They didn't even last 24 hours. They sent them on a military jet to a military base elsewhere in Massachusetts. They couldn't take it. They couldn't take it 24 hours. All of these leftists, these elites, this ruling class garbage, they voted for all of this, but they can't take it for 24 hours. And then Governor Abbott did it, and he started sending buses to Kamala Harris's residence in D.C. and elsewhere, and now it's a real systematic push of hundreds of thousands out of millions of illegals being pushed into sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. And those blue leaders can't take it. They can't take it. Of course not. But their constituents are really pissed. And that's why you're seeing this issue now become number one. Because it's not just the people along the border towns in Texas who are pissed. It's now black Democrat voters in Chicago who are pissed. It's white liberals in New York on the Upper West Side who are pissed. Number one issue. This is why the Biden administration desperately wants some sort of fake deal and you got enough ridiculous, blind, corrupted Republicans, part of the uni party, who are willing to make a deal. But as Rubio points out, how do you make a border security deal with a team that just went to the Supreme Court to keep the border wide open? They have no intention of closing it, okay? So you got a wide open border that is all part of the plan, And now with the Supreme Court, and again, I understand from a legal constitutional point of view, maybe why they did what they did, okay? And we'll have to see. I mean, if ultimately this case ends up at the Supreme Court, as it likely will, and if they go against Texas on this, then all hell is going to break loose. But let's see in the meantime. I mean, it's a horror show that this is continuing in the meantime, but let's see how it makes its way through the system. And, you know, there could be a silver lining here. As DC Drano has pointed out on Twitter, he said, possible silver lining, the decision could help us once Trump is back in office. Federal supremacy over immigration law means sanctuary cities slash blue states Cannot keep illegals when Trump starts mass deportations in 2025. This may be a long-term win for us. Maybe. Let's, let's see how this all shakes out. But what you are witnessing now, guys, is like a complete breakdown of the respect for authority, our institutions, all of it, especially if Texas does what a lot of people are suggesting, which is blow off the Supreme Court decision, just ignore it the way the Biden team ignores it on student loans and a couple of other decisions that the Supreme Court has put through, the Biden team just ignores. What we have now is a complete breakdown of our institutions, which of course was the point, is the point of this Marxist revolution that we are living through right now. It's about destroying the institutions. They talked about this for decades. They called it the long march through the institutions And now here we are, complete chaos, no rule of law. 
Certainly no equal application of the law. But broader, no rule of law. And you cannot have a country without rule of law, a secure border, and election integrity. And all three of those things have completely fallen apart. All right, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk briefly about uh, the New Hampshire primary today, where we are in this process. And then we're going to speak to the great Alex Marlowe of Breitbart. Sit tight. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, welcome back. Well, big day today in the Granite State, New Hampshire. We've got the New Hampshire primary, first in the nation primary, at least for the Republicans. You know what the Democrats did? Democrats made South Carolina their first primary, much to the horror of Democrats in New Hampshire. So now you've got this pathetic move to try to write in Joe Biden for the Democrats in New Hampshire. I mean, it's just, you got a sitting president who's the leader of the Democrat Party, and he has to be written in. Uh, anyway, they, they likely moved it to South Carolina because they wanted a racially diverse state to be first in the nation rather than Lily White, uh, New Hampshire. But they threw the whole process into upheaval. There is a theory by our friend Joel Gilbert, who did the M- Michelle Obama 2024 documentary, that perhaps they moved uh, the first in the nation primary for the Dems to South Carolina because they thought Michelle Obama was going to be in process now as a Democrat candidate for president. Um, She clearly is not, at least not yet. And uh, South Carolina is not until the end of February. I think it's February 24. So the Democrats still have some time to make that move, which they may do. Um, But in any case, we'll have to see. But today, the Republicans are all over the state of New Hampshire. New Hampshire is a very quirky state, and it still has a lot of liberal leanings Uh, because it is part of New England, and so they're very fiercely independent in New Hampshire. So we'll see. I mean, Dixville Notch is this little tiny town in the White Mountains. I have been there. It's adorable. Um, And they have the tradition, it's kind of gimmicky, but it's sweet too in a way, of voting first at midnight. So the community gathers at midnight, and Dixville Notch votes, and then they count the votes, and it goes nationwide. And it's, it's actually a very cute kind of tradition. Um, but all six in Dixville Notch yesterday voted for, or at midnight today, uh, voted for Nikki Haley. So we shall see. Again, I mean, it's possible that Nikki Haley pulls out something of an upset uh, today. We will watch it closely and we'll be all over this on Thursday. It's possible. I think it's unlikely. We've seen polling coming out of New Hampshire showing Trump 
with a 15 or 17 point uh, lead. But again, you know, I was talking to a pollster earlier in the week and she was telling me New Hampshire is very difficult to poll. And then, of course, you can get some crossover voting happening as well to mix it all up. According to the New Hampshire Bulletin ahead of today's primary, close to 4,000 Democrat voters changed their party affiliation to, quote, undeclared, which means there's a high possibility that they plan to vote in today's primary, the GOP primary. An additional 408 Democrats have switched to the Republican primary. So it's it's possible how independents and Democrats can help Nikki Haley beat Trump in today's uh, primary. I don't know if it's going to happen in enough numbers, but we'll see. We'll see. And then we'll do a postmortem here on Thursday about what it all means. In the end, not much. I mean, New Hampshire likes to sort of be an outlier. Um, but in the end, you know, then we go on to Nevada, and that that's a caucus state, and Trump is leading there by something like 50 points. And then we go to Nikki Haley's home state of South Carolina. She, look, if she wins today, or if she comes a close second, or even a not-so-close second, I can see her hanging on for another month to her home state, but she runs a huge risk of being humiliated in her home state. If you lose your home state, that is the stuff of political nightmares, because that means the end of your political career. I don't know if Nikki Haley has other ambitions to run again or whatever, but if she is trounced in her home state, I mean, that is Tombstoneville for Nikki Haley. All right. Nikki Haley is a uniparty corporatist, pro-China, old school Republican tool. So she is not in the end going to win this nomination. And the question is, how much longer is she going to stick this out? The truth is, guys, there never really was a primary. This is all theater. It's all theater. I mean, do I think Governor DeSantis really thought he had a shot? Yeah, because that's what the consultant class was telling him. Consultant class was all, oh, yeah, you got a shot? Enrich us and we'll help you do it. Um, I also think he bought into the hype of, hey, man, you know, you don't want to be Chris Christie. You don't want to miss your window of opportunity. You are hot now. Do it now. I think he believed that. And it, it was a credible argument at the time, right? But Donald Trump was always going to win this primary. He, he just always was. There never was a primary. And so, you know, the people who bought into, hey, you can give Trump a run for his money, you might even win, like Governor DeSantis just, they were not seeing reality, clearly. And then there were candidates like Chris Christie, whose only objective was to tear at Donald Trump and try to tear him down. And then Nikki Haley, the uniparty establishment, globalist, corporatist, pro-China wing of the uniparty, wanted her to, to run and win or at least give Trump a run for his money. So he's, she's taking big money from Democrats like Reid Hoffman, big tech guy pouring in millions, and there are others pouring in millions from the left, from big tech, into Nikki Haley, trying to prop her up and keep her going. Um, the truth is, the America First movement is bigger than all of it. It's stronger than all of it, and it's more passionate than all of it. 
We know our power now and our power in numbers, and we are standing up for our country. And of course, Donald Trump is the lead symbol and banner carrier uh, for the movement, and that's why we're rallying around him. All of this talk of like, well, once Trump was indicted, then of course it was going to be impossible to beat him because of the sympathy and the revenge part of this, and they've made him into a sympathetic figure, so once he was indicted, we could forget it, it was never going to happen. Look, Donald Trump was going to win without the indictments, okay? Donald Trump was going to win without the indictments because he's got an emotional lock on the voters. Not political, not intellectual, emotional, and that is unbreakable. So regardless of what happens in New Hampshire tonight, um, and we, again, are going to be all over this on Thursday and break it all apart, he is still going to be the Republican nominee for president. And then we are really off to the races, guys, because that is when the Democrat side is going to heat up. We're going to talk to Alex Marlowe a little bit about that. And it's also when the deep state is going to start kicking up dirt. And we're going to be all over that as well. All right, let's hit another break and let's talk to Alex Marlowe of Breitbart.com. On the other side, a pure fire conversation. So don't go anywhere. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Well, I'm so delighted to welcome with us today Alex Marlowe. Alex, of course, is the editor-in-chief of Breitbart, Breitbart Breitbart.com, and he is the author of the fantastic and very important new book called Breaking Biden, Exposing the Hidden Forces and Secret Money Machine Behind Joe Biden, His Family, and his administration. It's a phenomenal book. You can get it wherever books are sold. So please go pick it up. Educate yourself about the depth of corruption and the secret shadowy power plays going on behind your back, um, courtesy of the incredibly corrupt Biden crime family, Breaking Biden. He joins us now. Alex, welcome. Monica, it's great to be on with you. I know we've been spending some time together on television. It's nice to do it and Everyone's favorite medium these days, the podcast. Yes, absolutely. It's a joy to have you here. And I'd want to mention you can check out Alex on Twitter slash X at Alex Marlowe. And he is a newbie to True Social. You can find him there at Marlowe. So follow all of his uh, brilliant thoughts and and all of his important work there, as well as Breitbart.com. All right, we've got a lot to get to with you, Alex. This is a very big day. Of course, we have the New Hampshire primary. And I want to get to all of that as well as the Biden and crime family and all of the information that you expose in Breaking Biden. But let's start with the Supreme Court decision that came down yesterday on uh, Texas and the fact that the the administration went all the way to the Supreme Court to uh, pressure the states to allow the federal government policy of a wide open border and the illegal immigrant invasion to continue is just 
It's mind-boggling, but I guess it should not be surprising. The Supreme Court ruled to allow the Fifth Court, uh, they vacated the Fifth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals uh, decision, and that that allows the invasion to continue, prevents Texas from putting up this kind of wire and any other kind of obstacles to this illegal immigrant uh, invasion. It allows it to continue while the case goes through and the Fifth Circuit then decides and then inevitably goes back to the Supreme Court. So the case is not over. There is a process here. But this decision yesterday was pretty outrageous. Yeah, outrageous doesn't even begin to describe it, uh, Monica. This is an insurrection that's being allowed by our federal government. It is allowing millions upon millions of people who either themselves or their progeny will vote for Democrats. It is creating imbalance in our country for people who are not even Americans. Many of them have no intention of being Americans. A lot of them are economic migrants. And it is a deliberate effort to undermine American sovereignty, American values. Uh, there's, I, I would love to start on a lighter note, but this is as serious as it gets. This is my number one issue personally. It's been our number one issue at Breitbart for as long as I've been editor-in-chief, which is 10 years. Uh, it was Donald Trump's number one issue in the 2016 campaign, and I assume it will be that again in the 2024 campaign. And uh, there is nothing worse in America right now than this. I have a chapter in Breaking Biden where I describe America as a sanctuary country. That's how we're treating it. We've heard of sanctuary cities, sanctuary states sometimes, but that is Joe Biden's America. And the fact that the Supreme Court is codifying it should outrage every single person, regardless of your political stripes. You know, it's interesting because obviously we're all outraged. And then when you sort of get into it, you realize, okay, there there is a process here. And as frustrating and horrifying as this is, and the fact that John Roberts, a Republican appointee to the court, Amy Coney Barrett, another Republican appointee to the court, a Trump appointee to the court, uh, joined with the liberals on this decision. It is outrageous, of course, but there is a process. And so it's not totally over yet. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas um, indicated as much. It does still have to go through the uh, Fifth Circuit, then probably back up to the Supreme Court. So we will see how the process unfolds. But for the time being, the, the, the states now have no recourse, correct? I mean, Texas, look, it's entirely possible that Texas will just ignore this uh, Supreme Court ruling the way the Biden administration ignores uh, Supreme Court rulings on things like student loan forgiveness. They just go and do what they want. So that's that's all possible. But in that case, aren't we looking at a complete breakdown of all of our institutions, Alex? Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that, Monica, because I was on a Dennis Prager show. He's a friend of mine, I think one of the wisest guys in the conservative movement. And he asked me, is there any institution in Washington or in America, he may have said, that I feel like is a positive? Um, and I, I, I thought of the three-letter agencies about how I probably would have described them as positive pre-Trump. And after seeing the way they targeted Trump and Trump's America, uh, their involvement in some of the Russian collusion hoax, the involvement in the uh, hoax impeachment, uh, their involvement in all of the, what we saw in the run-up to 2020. Uh, I all that means that they're out now. The one thing I said was I give the Supreme Court a light positive rating, not an emphatic positive rating, but it's the one institution where I think is mostly pretty good. But when you see stuff like this, we saw, first of all, that they now have one Supreme Court justice who was chosen specifically because of her skin tone and not because of merit. 
which is outrageous, whatever the skin tone is. If you chose a white person because they were white, that would be outrageous. Choosing someone for one of those intellectual positions in this country uh, because of their of their race is just it, it undermines the whole institution. And then now we've got a decision like this, which is so blatantly political, it is about bleeding hearts. It is about indulging the status quo and is not about truth or law or facts. Uh, it does make you think that maybe we've lost it all. Maybe every major institution now is completely compromised. Then, so then the question is, where do we go from here? And that's going to be a very long road, I'm sad to say. Yes, no, exactly. And I was talking about this earlier in the show, about how this is the long march through the institutions, which began decades ago. This is a Marxist revolution that we are living through. I keep trying to get this through people's heads. And I say it all the time on the show. I say it on every platform. This is a Marxist revolution. It's economic Marxism. It is political Marxism. It's the long march through the institutions. It's cultural Marxism. You know, the whole gender agenda agenda is cultural Marxism. You need to understand this is all Marxism. And and the objective of Marxism, particularly in the West, is to destroy our institutions, undermine all of the confidence we have in them, get the institutions to no longer uphold the rule of law, the Constitution, and undermine our confidence in those institutions. And therefore, they're much easier to destroy and replace with, with their vision, which is, you know, radical Marxism. This this is not a joke. I'm not overstating yeah. this. This is what is happening before our eyes. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, our, our, the, my colleague at Threshold, which is Simon Schuster, uh, Mark Levin, just wrote a book called American Marxism a yeah. couple years ago, which makes his exact point. Terrific book, as are all Marx books. Um, and I agree with that completely. There's certainly a communist infiltration that's taking place in this country. It is A lot of it's already there. But I do find sometimes when I use that type of language, certain people check out who aren't already in agreement with me on stuff. So I don't always make a point to say it, but I objectively agree that that's what this is. Uh, there is nothing at all resembling in any of these actions we're talking about, resembling anything the founding fathers would have recognized. So clearly there's rejection of what the founding fathers believed in what our founding documents and our founding myth uh, entail. And that is something that is hard to come to grips with because it is so we have so diverged from those ideals it, it is hard to find is more difficult to find commonalities with them than it is to find places where we are trying to live up to those standards so do we have it in us to renew that to renew that commitment to the america of 1776 i, I some days i doubt it some days i feel very strongly about it um that it's a possibility I'm generally optimistic, but it's very hard to look at days, news days like yesterday and think, oh, yeah, things are going great. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm a natural optimist like you are, Alex, but there are some days I look around and I'm like, not that I don't have confidence in the majority of the American people, but it's because we have allowed the left for so many decades to literally take over everything, all of our institutions, the culture, everything. And as the late, great Andrew Breitbart once said, you know, politics is downstream from culture, and we haven't been focused on that, really, because we're focused on the next election, understandably so. But now the left literally yeah. controls all of the levers of power, and that gets discouraging, because how do you dislodge that, right? Yeah, and that's why we have to fight with all of our hearts and minds uh, this year in particular, because 
it, it does, it's a cliche, but this does feel like the most important election of our lifetimes because there's so much damage has been done that we can't allow for any more to take place. And the way that Joe Biden, and I write about this in Breaking Biden, the way he's been able to accelerate some of the damage has been mind-boggling. The way that he set back our energy sector, the way that he handled the border situation, the way that he eroded progress towards peace in the Middle East, uh, of, of course, uh, the uh, his relationship with China is world famous. All, all of the biggest threats of this country are getting exacerbated because of him. And to give uh, presumably him, if not someone in his image, the chance of four more years with a wrecking ball, it just it's impossible. It's impossible. I can't go there. And I hope the country understands that those are the stakes. Yes, exactly right. I can't go there either. And I don't know whether I'm living in wishful thinking or denial <laughs> about what the deep state and the left has planned for this year, because I, I can't wrap my mind around that quite yet. I mean, these are the things that keep me awake at night. But let's get into a little bit about what you write in Breaking Biden. And again, the subtitle is Exposing the Hidden Forces and Secret Money Machine Behind Joe Biden, His Family and His Administration. As you researched this book, Alex, what did you find? Yeah, so one of the things that I found with Joe Biden, I think is really important for as we head in towards this year, is that a lot of people feel like they've got a deep understanding of him. I know I did, uh, or at least somewhat from the media, but they miss some crucial things. Uh, first of all, the he's not nearly as dumb as, as people think. Uh, people think he's a dumb guy, he's deteriorating. Uh, I, yeah, sure he is. Of course, he's very old. But here's the thing is that he, some of the craziest things that he has said and done date back to the 70s, especially the 80s. So he's always been nuts, but his ambition to be president is uh, incalculable. And he doesn't just see himself as president. He sees himself as a dynastic figure. And that's why he's going to cling to power. That's why he's got a grip on it. And he's the person, more than any other person, who's responsible for the apparatus that's in place now that's doing all sorts of destruction. He's been there for 50 years. So I feel like we, for some reason, given him a pass, even though in, a, in modern American history, he's the one who should be being held most accountable. And yet a lot of us are, I think, whistling past the graveyard on this. He is the ultimate threat. And we want to act like that there's some sort of shadowy force behind him. Sometimes there are, but those are all people with pretty obvious agendas to maintain the status quo and to get money. And Joe Biden helps them do all that. The defense contractors love Joe Biden. The big tech loves Joe Biden. Hollywood loves Joe Biden, and especially Kamala Harris, the person he put on the ticket. All of the people who make the Democrat apparatus possible love this guy. And that's why he's clung to power, and he will continue to do it if we underestimate him and the machine that he's atop of. And I think if we don't get, wrap our minds around that soon, we're going to be in real jeopardy of losing to a guy who's 80 years old and really shouldn't be running anything. Right. No, you're exactly right. It seems to me like there are two tracks, and I think you have just identified them pretty well, and you write about it in Breaking Biden, which is you've got, you've got sort of the garden variety corruption on the left and the Democrat Party, and as you say, you know, uh, all these, uh, the, like, big tech and everything, and they're, they're sort yeah. of in the game to enrich and empower themselves. Then you've got the Marxists that are in the game to actually fundamentally transform the country in Obama's words. And those two tracks are not mutually exclusive. They feed off of each other, and they're both working That's together right. with Biden at the top to destroy the country, correct? That's correct. And the status quo in terms of 
places like Big Tech, which control our establishment media, uh, they they know that Biden is not a threat, and that's all they need. He's not going to threaten them. He's not going to get in their way. He's not going to interfere. Uh, anything they want to do internationally, it, the deregulation, it's all a revolving door between Microsoft, Google, Facebook, the Biden administration. I go through all that. Uh, they're they're way on board with him. The Marxists are fine with him too because he's purely a political animal. He's not ideological. He's not. I don't even know what he is in terms of what his belief system is. It's a light liberalism, but it's not. It doesn't make a difference. He's going to go hard in terms of uh, abortion in this election because he knows that that gets him votes and motivates the base. He's ostensibly a Catholic, as far as I can tell. He thinks of himself as a Catholic. I don't think he feels strongly about abortion. Uh, he understands the open border is bad. He doesn't care because he knows that if he takes stands on those issues out of principle, he alienates his voter base. And the thing that he has been incredible at, better than almost any other modern politician, uh, and he might be singular in this regard, is he gives his base what it wants. He gives the various coalitions that he is to bring together to win elections, he gives them what they need. And this is his super his superpower that is totally underappreciated at this point. Do you think that I mean, he's obviously a puppet of all of these forces and a willing puppet. Right. Um, How would you how would you describe the role of Barack and Michelle Obama and the Obama machine in his presidency? You know, I've described it as Obama 3.0. A lot of people have. Do you agree with that, that the Obamas are pulling a lot of these strings and Biden is is certainly willing to jump, but there's there are these big forces are related to Obama and his presidency where they wanted to extend it. And Trump, of course, interrupted it, but now it continues under Biden. Yeah, I'm a bit of a contrarian in this regard, is that I I don't have exactly that take. I think that there's some pretty significant influences in Biden world that come directly from Barack Obama. Uh, Susan Rice comes to mind. I think a lot of the media messaging establishment that leads Democrat thought are uh, Obama alumni, uh, consultants. I think a lot of them work for Obama. But uh, I think the Obamas are more tuned out than people on the right give uh, want to believe. I think they think the Obamas are masterminding more than they are. Um, as far as I can tell, Michelle Obama doesn't like this country and is just trying to make money and hang out on the beach. Uh, Barack Obama, I think, likes holding court on podcasts and making documentaries and playing video games. Uh, I, I don't see any major evidence that they're doing some sort of outsized influence beyond what any former president might do. So uh, I don't see it as quite that, as quite that simple. I'm not saying you do either, Monica. I know you're summing it up for time. Um, but I see the Biden apparatus as part Obama, part what Biden has built over his lifetime of running for president. He's been running for president almost as long as I've been alive. I was born in 1986. He started running probably 87, maybe 88. Um, that, that, that was when he was. So it's been 35 years in the making. And he was thinking about it a long time before there. Uh, so uh, that's a big part of it. And then there's just the general uh, paying attention to what is really running the Democrat Party. And it is California. It is it's Hollywood, Silicon Valley, and then now to some degree Wall Street. Those are the places that are really moving the needle in terms of messaging, in terms of motivating the voters, and in terms of getting things out into the, into the atmosphere that the Democrats need. Yeah, 
Yeah. No, I, I think that that's largely true. I ascribe more to the Obamas probably than you do. Um, and I hope that you're right about Michelle and her ambitions. And I know that's sort of the conventional wisdom that they're making too much money and she's not really political. And I think all of that is a ruse uh, so that she can be drafted as the reluctant candidate saving her party and her country. You know, she's out there now saying how terrified she is about a second uh, Trump term. I, I hope that you are right. Um, I fear that you may be wrong, and I, I, I really fear for the country if that's true, because I think well, be, having her as a woman of color running in lieu of uh, Joe Biden with the entire Obama machine, all they have to do is throw a switch. I, I think that would be extremely dangerous and a so, huge challenge so, for so Trump. So let, let, let me ask a question, though. Can I ask you, sure. and uh, I'm usually on the other side of the interview, so and I know I've interviewed you several times, like I'd love to so, again, but... It, why not do it in the democratic process? Why airdrop her in at the end? Why not work with Joe and say that, hey, Michelle is going to take your legacy. She's going to build you up. She's going to make you the grandest, uh, uh, the, 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 the Mac daddy of the modern Democrat Party. And um, then she's just she's going to win a you're going to stand aside. She's going to cakewalk through a primary. Why do they want to do it in a way that even more blatantly undermines our republic than they already do regularly? Well, two things. One, they certainly don't care about the rules. And when it comes to the left and the Democrats, there are no rules. So they make them up as they go along. Secondly, they do have a superdelegate process in place where they can just change the rules and move the superdelegates over to whomever. And third, it's sure. because they want to preserve her. Two, well, two reasons here. One, if you go through a primary, you get beaten up. Right. I mean, Trump looms huge, but he's still taking some hits from DeSantis, Haley, whatever. You get beaten up through the process. So they'd like to keep her pristine until the last minute. And then the second point is so that she can step up and be the reluctant candidate and say, gosh, golly, you know, I was loving my life. It's sort of like the mirror of what Trump was saying when he first ran, which is, man, I had this great life, but I see my country in shambles. And so I had to step up. So she gets drafted as the reluctant, well, I really don't want to do this, but my country is hanging mm. by a thread and I have to do it. And then they airdrop her in at the convention in, in August or whatever it might be. And so she's got a shorter runway to get beaten up and scrutinized before the general election. And they can just ram her right through. Look, again, I hope that I'm wrong. But knowing the left, as you and I both know, (laughs) Alex, they do not play by the rules. They do not care. And they will do whatever they want. Again, I hope that I am wrong about this because she poses a unique challenge to our side and certainly to President Trump. Um, So, again, I hope that I'm wrong about this. And I hope that you are right. Um, Let's talk before we let you go a couple of minutes about what's going to happen today. We've got the New Hampshire primary. Uh, It is ongoing as we are speaking here today, and we'll know the results tonight. Uh, Dixville Notch has a longstanding tradition of being the first community in New Hampshire to vote. All six votes in Dixville Notch uh, went for Nikki Haley. Do you think that is a bellwether, or do you think Donald Trump is going to pull this out? Yeah, it's a great question, actually, because uh, New Hampshire is a really tough state to prognosticate on. I, I, I don't Love to do a lot of looking into a crystal ball because you just end up. It's, it's, it's not that satisfying when you're right, and it's very nerve wracking when you're wrong. Um, but I, I don't. I don't think this is 
I don't think we learn much from Dixville Notch, um, and I don't I don't think you usually do. I think it's just sort of a fun ceremonial thing. Uh, New Hampshire is an odd state. Uh, there's Democrats who are going to vote on the Republican side. The state is run by an anti-Trump moderate establishment Republicans who like Nikki Haley a lot. So you know it wouldn't stun me if Haley won or even or even came close, but. I think the smart money is Trump's still going to win. He's going to win by close to double digits, if not double digits, and the primary is going to be over. So I, if I had to bet, and just for the sake of entertaining your audience, I'll say I do think Trump wins by a pretty substantial margin, and that's the end of it. But again, New Hampshire is sort of an odd state. So if Trump doesn't win, and I'm personally pulling for Trump, it's fine. He's going to win South Carolina, Nikki Haley's home state by 30 points, and then it's over. So it's just more entertainment for us. So I'm all good with whatever. It's going to be a fun day. It is going to be a fun day and, you know, a fun process, because now that we've consolidated around President Trump, it's going to be great. Uh, Final question for you, Alex. The the deep state obviously threw the kitchen sink at Donald Trump, really starting from the moment he came down the escalator, but certainly in 2020 to try to stop his reelection. I I think that they are willing to do whatever it takes to try to stop him again. Um, What do you anticipate happening this year in terms of like total cataclysm like we had in 2020? Um, Because we don't put anything past them. So what is there anything that you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, I'm keeping an eye on the courts, obviously, partially because I'm not an attorney. So I'm, it's more entertaining for me because I don't really know. It's hard for me to read between the lines because I don't, uh, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of all the court decisions. I have people at Breitbart I trust to handle that on my behalf. Um, it, but it, it's the, it, it, it's one of these scenarios where it feels like Joe Biden is not a huge threat to Trump as an individual. It feels like no one on the Republican side is a threat. But the Democrat machine always impresses me at how they're able to rally together and they're able to build a coalition to get people out to vote and using the cheat by mail rules from the coronavirus that are still in place, using big tech manipulation to make sure that big stories about Joe Biden don't come out or don't go viral or there's a massive apparatus to spin something completely false, like what we saw with the uh, Hunter Biden laptop from Hell Hoax in 2020. All all of that's going to happen. There's no doubt about it. But the, I guess the the new wrinkle is whether or not the courts are able to do some real damage to Trump. Uh, I don't know if they will. I might, I guess my prediction is they don't, but that's the one that's the new outlier. And if you look at uh, people who are tracking this around the world. I, I think the world is convinced that Trump is in real legal jeopardy, which I find very fascinating that other nations, I think, know Trump is the front runner at this point, but that the courts pro- provide almost a bigger threat than the Democrats at this point. Yeah, I know. They're certainly engaging in massive lawfare and throwing the legal kitchen sink at Donald Trump. I just fear that they're not going to just rely on it. I mean, look, the Fannie Willis case looks like it's yeah. it's getting derailed. At least one of the Jack Smith totally. cases looks like it's getting derailed. The other one, the classified documents one, looks like it might not even happen before the election. Um, you know, you've got the New York State uh, legal circus going on, the civil cases and so on. But you know, I, I don't know. I don't think they're putting all of their eggs in the, that basket, as dangerous as, as it is for Trump, for sure. Um, and they can still do a lot of damage there. But I think they've got they, they got something else planned, or maybe more than one thing. And I don't know what form it's going to take, but well, I, every day I wake up braced. 
And, and, and you should. I, I have a huge article on this that ran this week. I think it ran um, a couple of days ago. It's a recording this at Breitbart. It's a 2,000-word piece on the various ways that they cheated in 2020. And it's not Dominion voting systems flipping votes. Uh, it, it's all about big tech manipulation, control of information, coordinating with the government uh, to make sure that certain information didn't come out or was spun in a certain way, as well as all of these vote-by-mail rules that were changed to make it so that all of these ballots were turned in where we have no clue where they came from or who actually filled them out. And there's no accountability for any of the people who were handling the ballots. We don't know how many times the ballots were handled and by whom and who paid the people who were handling the ballots. All of that stuff is still in place. And if you don't think that's going to be a major factor in this race, you're living in, you're living in a dream world. Which is why anyone who feels like that they are they want to sit on the sidelines, uh, it, it, you cannot leave this election a chance. As strong as Donald Trump looks today, the apparatus is built to beat him, and that needs to be appreciated more than anything else. Yes, absolutely. And while I do think they have something else up their sleeve, they are counting on that. And of course, the our side has done little to nothing to fix that, and it's absolutely enraging. Um, anyway, totally. Alex, you are absolutely fantastic. Alex Marlowe, the editor-in-chief of Breitbart. You can find all of his work and all of the other great work at Breitbart.com. So please go there multiple times a day so you stay in the loop. He is also the author of the fantastic new book called Breaking Biden, Exposing the Hidden Forces and Secret Money Machine Behind Joe Biden, His Family, and his administration. Find him on social media on X slash Twitter at Alex Marlowe and on Truth at Marlowe. Alex, you are fantastic. Thank you so much. Monica, you're very kind. I'm a big fan of yours. And I love to do this again. Okay, guys, that's going to do it for me. Another huge show in the can. Have a very happy New Hampshire primary day and a good start to your week. And I will see you right back here on Thursday. We're going to have a full coverage of what happened in New Hampshire and how we're going forward here. Also, we're going to speak to Leo Terrell about his personal journey from Black Panther radical uh, to MAGA all the way. And we'll get a breakdown on the latest uh, Trump legal cases and where we are in all of that. They really seem to be uh, starting to get derailed here. So we'll get Leo's uh, view on all of that. Okay, have a great, safe start to your week and I will see you then. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Bayhockel Entertainment, LLC. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its Opry ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com.